0: What an honor to be with you and thank you very much for being here whatever it took for you to get here thank you for coming thank you for taking the time the effort the energy the expense to get from wherever you were uh, to this location so I, I got a kick out of watching brother eric give his testimony he took us he took us three minutes complaining about how he only had five minutes you know. and uh, i tell you what that guy something else I, I heard about a guy who invited his friend to come preach for him on a sunday morning he said look He goes. uh, I need you to go into the invitation at noon, okay? And he said at noon because we have junior churches, we have bus routes, we have nurseries, all kinds of things going, and so we need to go in the invitation at noon. You'll have plenty of time to wrap up the invitation. So his uh, friend, he invited his friend and introduced to the church family. Was very proud of him and everything. And he was sitting back there, and uh, but his friend just got excited about preaching. He just kept preaching, and uh, noon came and went, and it was 12:10. 12 15 12 20 12 25 the ushers are going stop you know the babies are crying nursery workers ah you know where the kids are running around you can hear them in the hallway you know and and he doesn't he's oblivious to it he's just going to town and and uh, his uh, his his the pastor of the church was just he was he just got he got in the flesh and he sat back here and he just looked at something to throw at him so he found the the water glass he saw the water glass it was a water glass there and just and he threw it at the back of the head of his friend in the middle of the service at about 1225. And uh, it missed his friend, but it had an old, hit an old lady on the head right on the second row across the uh, the, the pulpit. And, uh, and the people, went, oh, they couldn't believe Pastor lost his temper. And it was he was embarrassed instantly. And his friend like, what are you doing, you know, like that, and... And looked over and the poor little lady. Her head has uh, got a big old big old knot on it. She's rubbing her head real hard. And, and he just, you know, just went over to the old lady. and, said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I lost my temper and I hit you in the head. I am so sorry. She said, pastor, hit me again. I can still hear the preacher. <laughs> and, uh, I hope no more will have to hit you for me to get out of here tonight. And uh, I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you very much, and thank you for letting us come to be a part of it. If you have your Bibles, turn to First Peter chapter number five. Every part of the service has blessed me. I sang a song I'd never sung before in the song, uh, in the song uh, hymn there. That was really great, and uh, learn a new song that way. Each of the songs, people need the Lord, and then of course the song about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Miss Elizabeth brought uh, a bunch of CDs from the college. I don't know if they'll be a blessing to you or not, but if you would like CDs, I think it would be an encouragement. We uh, try to produce music that would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Music starts in the heart, and it should be for the Lord. We haven't always been successful, but it's our goal to do that at the college and so uh, there are several seeds available i'll just just, i I brought a couple of them with you just so you could see this one i love to teach we want our young people to learn to write music the bible says god put a new song in my mouth i don't think new songs are wrong i think worldly songs are wrong and and i don't think god needs to borrow anything from the devil to get his word across and certainly he is not enamored by worldly praise at the same time uh, some of our young people in the music classes are taught to write their own song, a testimony song, things of that nature. And on this particular C D every song is written by one of our students and then a couple of them by our faculty member, uh, brother Miss Adri Ludwig, and she's the one who trained them to do that. She's a gifted pianist and musician and songwriter. And there's just some great songs in here. Uh, he Is Enough. And of course one of the girls who lost their dad her sophomore year had a massive heart attack and and she wrote the song on the on the aftermath of that, He Is Enough. And not My Will is a young lady whose parents were divorced, and her mom and dad were unsaved. Dad flies for Delta Airline, not yet a Christian, and mom got, got saved after the divorce and married uh, her stepdad, and she had a challenge going every every so often, back to dads, back to moms, and of course, mom's, moms uh, place was a place where they went to church three times a week, and grew in the Lord. Dad's that was not in the equation, and and uh, there was there were just all kinds of conflicts and. She had to decide. Was she going to blend in or or stand out? Was she going to be firm with her decision with Jesus? And and, uh, she uh, made the decision one day that I want to please Jesus. I love my dad, but I've got to still please the Lord when I'm with my dad and still hold on to things that I know that will please him. And she wrote a beautiful song, Not My Will. One of my favorite ones is, is Cast It on the Ground, See What God Can Do. And it's a sweet song some of you might even know brother roman white but he has uh, he's a pastor's down in vancouver washington but uh, he's got uh, numbers of kids two of them one of them goes to her college now roman but lizzie his oldest daughter she's autistic slightly autistic not completely but but uh, she was just so frustrated she she couldn't engage in conversation well with people because of her autism and it really bothered her and she went to the lord and she said, Lord, I can't talk to people. This is, this is ridiculous. And I, you've asked me to witness to people, and I don't. I can't hardly even get in a conversation with somebody. And uh, while reading Exodus, she read the passage. That someone else said that to God one day. And uh, you, know, you know his name? <laughs> Moses. And he said, well, and the Lord said, what do you have in your hand? He said, well, I got a rod. He said, well, throw it on the ground. Cast it on the ground. See what I can do. And it came a serpent. And, and that rod became with him his whole life. Uh, something that God used. And she wrote the song, cast it on the ground. See what God he said, I'm not asking you for what you don't have. I'm asking what you do have. Use what God's given you. And uh, Lizzie is a great school teacher and a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ now. Her and her sister Joy sing that song right there. And that's, a, that's just songs from her heart. Then here's another great, this is their most uh, recent song, Lift Up the Cross. A lot of great songs in there. One of my favorite ones on this particular one is called Still. And I like it because it reminds us that we need to still keep the old-time way. We need to continue to tell folks about Christ, have altar calls, that people get saved, and keep preaching God's Word. And uh, it may be old-fashioned, but it should be real still. And I love that song. I play it oftentimes because I want my bell rung. <laughs> I want to make sure that I don't get enamored with things that are not biblical. And I love that song. There are several other tremendous uh, truths on there, Lift Up the Cross, Grace and Truth, and... And some others there, but uh, one of my favorite products is that that, that they say is called a little taste of heaven. Now, if you do not like uh, banjos and guitars and mandolins, all these things are over here. Stay as far away from this CD as possible, because you'll think you're on the front porch with Barney and, and Andy Griffith or something. But uh, it is a little bit of a little bit of a country back porch feel. But it is a sweet song. Some great songs on here. Glorious, amazing God, His ways are higher than mine. Little taste of heaven. Uh, did I mention that he, that I love Him and that's my God? Several other songs. They may or may not be of interest to you, but they are back there if you'd want to get them. They are available, and we'd love to make those available to you tonight. I think they're there. The prices are back there, but I think we can we can be an encouragement to you. I hope we can in a special way tomorrow. I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit about discipleship and how to, uh, my journey on what God did to teach me to disciple people. I'll share it with you just briefly and then we'll talk about discipleship tomorrow more so. When I was a young man, I, I my dad, I was already a Christian, but my dad um, heard that Jack Hiles and John O'Rice were preaching a Story of the Lord conference in Johnson City, Tennessee. It was our church and, and uh, he it was it was an exciting time and you know, we were cleaning the church, getting ready like this church has got ready for us, by the way, Cornerstone Baptist Church, thank you for all the work and time and effort and investment you've already made before we showed up, and I thank you very much for your kindness and hospitality. Today was so fun to be with God's men and people that are here from Canada that came because of your kindness and generosity. Thank you so very much for your heart, and Pastor, thank you for leading them to help us and encourage us uh, with all the kindness but uh i remember our church was excited about having jack Hiles and john R. rice and my dad i was about 10 or 11 years old my dad said go to the bathroom and i'm going to go take you downstairs down there here's your offering and sit down there as a folding chair there wasn't there were just pews and there a folding chair on the aisle there and and I, he said, now sit down there. I was in the second row and don't get up for like two hours. And I said, really? Okay. And so, the boy, each night eats of men priests And boy, they challenge us on soul winning and spirit filled life. And it was an amazing time. I got to see and sit by John Rice right there that night. He was an old fellow sitting right beside me. I was in the folding chair and he was right in the pew right beside me. and. I remember when it came time to take the offering they were taking the offering for brother hiles that night the monday night for brother hiles and tuesday night was for john R. rice and i remember this the first time i ever saw a hundred dollar bill and it was from brother rice and i remember i was sitting there and holding the offering and, and you know the guy gave the offering he put a hundred dollars i'm like whoa <laughs> and i gave it there and thought man that's a lot of money and i thought to myself this guy is rich over here then the other thought said, he might just love Brother Howells, you know. He might just like Brother Howells. I'm probably sure that if I set Brother Howells the night before, next night, he would probably put the $100 back in there for, for John and Rice. They were dear friends. But after that service, our pastor started teaching us how to win people to Christ on Saturday mornings. He got us together, invited us to come, and taught us on winning people to Christ. And I was so grateful for that. My dad enrolled me in that class, and I got my little Gideon's New Testament and marked it all up and, and tried to tell myself how to be saved in front of a mirror, and I won my, my, my brother and sister to the Lord about 25 times, and try to explain to them how to be saved, and, but one day we were playing on the little government housing projects there with my friend Eric, and, and we were playing football with my brothers, and we were done, and we are just sitting around, and, and the Lord prompted my heart to ask Eric, Eric, do you know for sure if you die, you go to heaven? And he goes, no, I don't know that. I so if I could show you from the Bible how you could know, would you want to know? And he said, yeah. I said, well, here, hold the football. I'll be right back. And I ran down the sidewalk and up to the second floor of that little apartment and got my New Testament Ran out there. And the best way I knew how, I explained to Eric how to be saved. At the end, he said, I want to get saved. And so I helped him as a fifth grade boy trying to explain the gospel. But I don't know exactly what happened to Eric. We had to move in just a few weeks later after that. I don't know what happened to Eric, but I know what happened to me that day. I thought to myself, well, I need to do that again. <laughs> That's good. That, that, he was so happy. I was happy. And the power of the gospel. And so I, by God's grace, I did that many times. Um, but I went to Howell Anderson College, and I learned, and learned more about winning people to Christ. But as time went on, I, um, I got really frustrated. I remember I was 31 years old. I was working in a Christian school in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana as a teacher, and my pastor said, John, you're winning some of these folks to Christ. That's great. Why don't I just give you a room and you just try to reach young couples with the Lord and, and, and help them come. And, and so that's what I did. And I would visit. I would call them. I would uh, write them letters. I would do all I can. to get. I would try to have good donuts and good coffee and, and chocolate milk and whatever I could to make the Sunday school class. I'd get there early. I would pray. I would protect. You know, get the classroom all prepared and but it just wasn't going the way I'd like for it to go. And I don't know why. I thought we had a great church, good pastor, and we had a comfortable auditorium, a good ch- children's daycare for the kids and nursery, and all the things I thought that were great for a church, good choir. And, but uh, I had a hard time getting people to come faithfully. I remember one particular family, his name is Bernard Hampton, and he's my dear friend, and his wife Laura. And I was there when they got baptized, I knew they were saved. and. I saw my pastor baptize them. I knew that they had a heart for God. I could see the Spirit of God was working their heart. But trying to get them to come faithfully on Sunday morning, they would come three out of four Sundays. And, and uh, you know, unless there was a fishing trip or there was some sort of a family gathering or the Dallas Cowboys were playing the early game or something like that. And they just, uh, and Sunday night, no, Wednesday night, they wouldn't be faithful to come. And I tried very hard to get there to put their little girl into the Wednesday night children's program. And it just... Didn't see the interest. And, but I knew they were saved. I remember one day I'd knock on the door, and uh, it was a Saturday, and I just said, uh, I, said uh, I heard him say to his wife behind the door, if that's Brother John, tell him we'll be there tomorrow. And a few moments later, the door opened, and she said in the southern way that she would talk, hi, Brother John, we'll be there tomorrow. You want us to bring the donuts? I said, no, no, just come, and I'll see you tomorrow. And I got in my car. I felt like someone punched me in the stomach. I thought to myself, what am I doing? Just going out and aggravating people every Saturday? Why don't they want to come? Why don't they enjoy the things? Of... I love going to church. It's not a drudgery. I mean, sometimes I come because I've... it's my duty, but I want to come. And what am I doing wrong? And, boy, it really drove me to challenge uh, myself. Why is it that people are not coming? Why don't? Why... What am I missing? And uh, I was really bothered. I remember pouring out my complaint to god i would walk after i finished school in the day and i'd walk home i'd walk through this football field and a lot of times rather than walk through i would just walk around it and if you got a camera on me i'd be going <laughs> you know I was like lord please help me get this you know and within about two weeks of that prayer meeting with the lord my pastor said hey the youth pastor is going to go start a church his you know, office is empty we have got another man coming in would you prepare his office would you clean that office i said sure pastor i'll do it and I started cleaning the office and organizing the paper clips and putting the pledge on the on the desk and dusting it down, emptying the trash, and taking care of all the things and preparing the office. And I opened the closet and I found some simple discipleship booklets. And I thought to myself, well, I, it seems like as soon as I saw them, the Lord said, John, this would help Bernard. This would help your friend. And I thought, okay. And so I went down to the pa- I cleaned the office, went down and talked to my pastor, said Pastor, said so Pastor, um, I found these discipleship booklets, and I've got thinking about some of the people in my class, Bernard in particular. You know Bernard and Laura? He's an attorney, brand-new attorney here in town and finished LSU. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. I know him. I said, what well, you think? I could go through this Bible study with him. He goes, oh, those things will be great. So we bought those a long time ago, but just, the discipleship books have just not caught on in our church. But, yeah, you take them and use them. You know why they didn't catch on? Because discipling people is hard work. It's not easy to win someone to Christ, but it's easier to win someone to Christ than it is to help them grow to spiritual maturity. It's not easy to have a baby, and I never had a baby. I watched Linda have nine of them, <laughs> but uh, she would tell you, she would say, No, it's easier to have a baby than it is to raise a baby. And spiritually, that's the same too. My pastor said, You know, we tried that, it just didn't work in our church. And he said, But that'll be a good idea. You take them through that. I remember being afraid, but I called, I, I contacted. Uh, Bernard. I said, Bernard, I found these booklets. I want to go through them. Would you go through them with me? He said, yeah. He said, when are you going to go through them? I said, i got to be at school at 7.45 every morning. So probably, how about 6.30 to 7.30 on Tuesday mornings at the at the little restaurant down on I-10 in Segan Lane? He said, that's pretty early, John. I said, well, I don't know if I have another time to do it. He goes, yeah, I'll do it with you. And every Tuesday morning, we started meeting. And I began to see Bernard, while he was... While I was teaching the lesson, two things were happening. The light bulb was coming on in Bernard, and the light bulb was coming on in me. Mm -hmm. I had degrees from the Hiles Anderson College, but I couldn't give you two verses from heart on eternal security of my life depend upon it. I was a concordance cripple. I, I didn't know two verses on baptism. I didn't know three verses on the deity of Christ. I didn't know verses on, on... Now, I had heard so many life-changing messages, I didn't even know who I was, okay? I had learned lots of messages. I had heard hundreds and hundreds of messages. But I didn't use those muscles. I was just a taker. I wasn't using them. I was just... I was information fat and application skinny. <laughs> I had lots of information, but I, did, I didn't know how to use it. And boy, I tell you what, I, I started teaching Bernard on those doctrines and, and salvation, eternal security, baptism. And the more I taught him, the more I learned. I was like, yeah, that's a good verse. Where's that, that in the Bible? I don't like that, you know. And then he started saying, that's good. I like that. That's good. I, I, I'm glad you told me this. It's good. I'll see you next week. And we learn our verses and we do the work. About six weeks into our study of uh, 16 Lessons, I called everybody in my class on a Saturday night. Hey, guys, you are going to be in Sunday school tomorrow? And I called his house. He said, John, uh, yeah, we're going to be in Sunday school, but just stop calling us, okay? So we'll be there every week. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboy game, and I, I'm going to make sure I'm there. He said, "Yeah, you know, I told Laura, we're going to start coming Sunday night, too. He said, we're going to start coming on Wednesday night. Our daughter needs to go in that little program. I said, that's great, Bernard. He goes, he goes uh, John, you know, you got anybody in the class? You're doing all this work in the class. We ought to help you. You know. You got anybody you want me to help with? Why don't you give me three or four names and I'll aggravate them like you've aggravated me. <laughs> I said, "You're going to help me?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Yeah. You know, we'll get the donuts and we'll give give us some names. We'll call them and we'll work with you in the class." You know that guy is that guy is now a Sunday school teacher and has been for 22 years. He's raised his family in a godly home. He's my dear friend. When our son passed away, he and his wife. Flew out to Los Angeles and spent the whole week with us. Loving us and helping us. Used to take him out soul winning, visiting with us. And boy, became a fast friend. Led another man to the Lord, and I started discipling him. His name was Eddie Henson. Another man named Barry Angolia. I'll never forget going to his house on a Monday night. And, and his, he was married to a girl named Rose. And I saw Rose coming, and he would come sit with Rose. But you could tell he was a little bit sideways with the whole situation. And I remember going out to his house on a Monday night. And... <laughs> On our soul winning visitation, I said, hey, you know, Barry, he was a financial planner, you know. And he said, I said, Barry, do you know for sure if you die, you go to heaven? He goes, oh, no, I I know I'm going to hell. He goes, I'm the only only person in this house going to hell. My wife says she's going to heaven. My kids say, Danny, we're going to heaven. I guess I'm the only one going to hell. I said, wow. Well, Bernard, can I help you with that? He said, what do you want to help me with? I said, I can show you in the Bible how you can go to heaven. He goes, yeah, let's talk about it. (laughs) And so I went ahead and shared the gospel with him. Barry got saved. And he got baptized, and then he, he got discipled. You know, it was just kind of fun to see that happen. And then the Lord made me a pastor a few months later and went to, uh, to First Baptist Church of Long Beach. And once again, I, I remember seeing people get saved. I said to the deacon and to the assistant pastor that was there that I had the joy to work with. I said, hey, you guys want to do some discipleship? I found a, a way we can maybe help. He goes, oh, no, just get them to come to church. I said, how's that working? Well, it doesn't work real good, but that's how we do it. I said, "Well, I think uh, I think we might want to just try this." And they weren't they weren't enthused. It wasn't. It was like, "Oh yeah, we we know all about that. We, that's not going to be something in our program." I was like, "Oh man!" And I remember Linda and I sitting down with her, and she said, uh, "There was no money to buy anything." So I said, "How about this? Well, we have $140 in our savings. Let's buy ten sets of discipleship, and and whenever we lead a man to the Lord, I'll try to disciple him, and then you disciple the ladies." and we got so busy discipling people that we needed some help. I remember one of the assistant pastors, I said, do you like working here? He said, yeah. He said, you better disciple somebody because I, I, I can't keep up. This is, this is Henry. He's a radio technician, and he just got saved. I can't take another guy. You've got to disciple him. Boy, after that, he got so excited. He goes, got anybody else? Got anybody else? He kept on discipling people and did so all those years. And I started seeing people go from darkness to light, and it really blessed me. And now they, they, they're coming to church not because of a pastor, not because of a building, not because of a program, not because of a property, but because of the person of Jesus. Amen. Because God loves his word so much, he named his son after it.
1: Amen.
0: And when you get people to the Bible, you get them to Jesus. Amen. But it takes time. You can't leapfrog time. And we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. I hope it'll be a help and a blessing to you. Tonight, pastors assigned me the responsibility to talk about taking the oversight by exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. And, of course, we don't use the word exhorting too much. If you went out and used it in the common day vernacular here in Edmond, they'd probably say, what? (laughs) Yeah, I want to just exhort you a little bit. What? Well, I want to encourage you a little bit. I want to stimulate you a little bit. And exhortation is a biblical principle. Matter of fact, it's one of the seven gifts that God gave people in Romans chapter 12. When the Bible tells us that he has seven particular service gifts that he gives people. One is prophecy. Another one is helping or service. Another one is teaching. Uh, That's someone who studies and puts things in print, I think. Some people have, I ask them, what's your spiritual gift? Oh, teaching. The only problem is no one has a gift of listening to you teach. <laughs> uh, sometimes people have the gift of teaching, and there's no one who wants to listen to them. Uh, but nonetheless, teaching, some people have a gift of giving, and some people have a gift of ruling or organizing, and some have the gift of mercy, and some have the gift of exhortation. I think Apostle Paul was a great example of that. He is someone who made a good thing better. He was someone who who wanted to help people grow. He would say things like this, till Christ be formed in you. I mean, he was really passionate. People said, the more I love, the less I be loved, but I don't care. As long as it helps you, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to spend and to be spent. That's the kind of exhorter. An exhorter is someone who is good at discipling people. He told Timothy, the things that you've learned among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So exhortation is a biblical responsibility that all of us have. Now, when you have a spiritual gift, you need to, uh, you need to strive for all, but you'll need to thrive in one. Uh, there's one that God made you good at at least, and some of you are multi-gifted, but you, you, you want to you strive for all of them, but you're going to need to thrive in the, in the one that God made you good at. But exhortation is something all of us need to work on. It's very important. It's one of the reasons we come to church. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves in the manner of some is. But so much the more exhorting one another. Listen, when you come to church, don't come to church just to sit, soak, and sour. <laughs> don't just say, I just want to get fed. I just want to get fed. That's why I come to church, because I want to get fed. No, no, no. No, you should get fed, but that's not why. I tell people say, oh, I'm going to church. I'm just not getting fed. They're already so fat, it's embarrassing. They've heard all kinds of messages. It's not about getting fed. It's about working out what you learn. You're a big spiritual blob. You just come and take and take and take. It's all about you, Spanky. And it shouldn't be all about you. It should be about what God's going to give you so you can help somebody else. Somebody needs to take off your bib and put on your apron <laughs> and say, you know, it's enough about this, Ooh, feeding our pie hole. Now it's time for us to learn how to, to put on an apron and get busy doing something. If you, don't wa- if you don't get busy doing something, you'll become critical. You'll become an armchair quarterback that will just tell, oh, yeah, you should be doing this, should be doing that. Now, you're not doing anything, but you got opinions about everybody else. But staying faithful and busy in the work of the Lord is very, very important. And uh, we need to learn to do that and to exhort. When you come to church, you're not come as a taker, come as a giver. When you come to church, bring a note. a uh, Who? Uh, to the pastor. <laughs> bring a note to his wife. Bring a note to the nursery worker. Bring a note to the sound man. Hey, bring a note to a single mom who's trying to raise kids all by herself. Bring a note to a widow who will probably read that note 15 times between now and next Sunday. Probably on a refrigerator. Come with a smile. Come with a good word. Come with an encouragement, encouraging thought. Come with a thank you on your lips. Don't just come to say, I hope hope it's a good one because I'm tired today. No, no, no. Come and say, Lord, what can I do to be an encouragement to the people? What can I bring to the service? Not just to come and take it. He said, when you come together, exhort one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, We should daily exhort one another, lest our heart be hardened because of the deceitfulness of sin. You know, there's something about brothers and sisters helping each other, keeping our hearts soft and sin sensitive. I need that. I need that. The other day, I, uh, I said something negative about somebody. And I had a friend of mine who said to me, he goes, you know what? I just have grown to appreciate anybody who's just faithfully serving the Lord and doing what God wants them to do and knowing that they'll have to stand before God. Well, I felt about this small after that. You know what my friend did? He stabbed me in the front. <laughs> he did. He just get, he let me have it. But you know what? He made me more sensitive to sin because what I said wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't helpful. I'm not supposed to let any corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth, but that was just good to use of edifying. What I said was not edifying. It was sinful and critical. But I had a friend who exhorted me so that I wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhortation is a needed part of the work of God. And it's very important to the house of God. See, a church is a place That when you get involved in the church, you don't just to take her. You're there to help. And I think we have to understand church is good for five things for sure. Number one, it's a place where you identify with Jesus and with his body. When you you get involved with church, you're saying, I'm in. I'm with the church. I'm with Christ. And God likes to identify with us. He likes it when we identify with him. That's why we get baptized. We're buried with him in baptism. Yeah, we're with him. Church is a place where I I state my identification. I'm with Jesus, and I'm with this body of believers. It's a place where I subject myself for instruction from Jesus. It's a place where I come to listen and to learn and to subject myself to say, okay, how can this make me a better dad, a better husband, a better friend, a better son, a better better daughter, a better wife, a better mother, a, a, a better Christian? I'm subjecting myself to instruction. I'm also being exposed to inspiration. You know, at church, is a place where we're inspired. I was inspired to be a soul winner and a church service in the fourth, fifth grade. <laughs> and it caused me to want to do it. I, I think I've learned to, I'm learning to give of my, of my, of my uh, substance to the Lord. And years ago, Linda and I passed over 50% of our income is now able to give to God. Now pushing 60%. I'm amazed at that. I don't know how that happened. But you know where it started? In church. We were inspired to not just to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of living. I would have done it had I not gone to church. Church is a place of inspiration. It's a place of instruction. It's a place of identification. Church is also a place of involvement. It's where I can get involved in prayers. I can get involved in fellowship. I can get involved in reaching others in service. It's a place where I get involved. I love church for that reason. I don't want to just be a spectator. I want to be a participant. When I played sports years ago, I didn't like sitting on the bench and watching the game from there. I wanted to get in the game. I wanted a coach to say, Wilkerson, get out there. Yeah, okay, let's go. I don't want to just go and just watch the world go by. I want to get involved and find out. And by the way, if you show me, if you tell me, I'll forget. If you show me, I'll remember. If you involve me, then I'll understand. I'll get it. Well, the Bible tells that, and then it's also a place of investment. Church is a place where I get to invest my time, my talents, my resources, my treasure. Uh, I I can give to the Lord my tithes, my offerings, and he tells me where to take it. Take it to my house so that my house might be full, and we can invest for the things of God. I'm grateful for the church, but exhortation is important. And 1 Peter chapter 5 is where pastor has chosen for us to do it. I want to read that each time we gather together. Would you look at 1 Peter chapter 5? And you'll find the word exhort is in the first verse. Read verse number 1 for me, if you would, please. All the men, read verse 1, would you please? The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Everyone, reading verse 2, ready? Feed the flock of God which is among you. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Verse, uh, verse number 4, let's conclude together. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall Our Father, thank you for the privilege to talk to our church family this evening and many of your leaders across this wonderful country that have chosen to come at no small expense. They have found ways to get here, found a place to stay. They have uh, had to eat out their meals and and, uh, invest in being at this meeting. And then we've come here to a church that's already thought about us before we showed up. They've already raised the funds to purchase meals for us and to have a place, a warm place to stay and, and uh, to have services and, and lots of coffee and lots of uh, refreshments. They've loved us. Thank you for the specials that we've heard and the testimonies we've enjoyed. Please speak to my heart and help me as I share just a couple thoughts. I don't want to be long, but Father, I want to be thorough, and I pray you'd please help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get the message, I want to give greetings from Jonathan and Bailey Atkins. How many of you know who Brother Jonathan Atkins is? He is one of the finest blessings to my life and the life of First Baptist Church of Hammond. And he's one of our assistant pastors and just really a blessing. But he remembers uh, coming to these meetings in Alberta. Grew up in Calgary. And Such an encouragement with his brothers. Thank you for for, uh, remembering that sweet family. I love them very much and so grateful for them. With that in mind, I want to just share with you a few things. I think that if we did these things, we would exhort those around us. And I want to just share them with you quickly. Number one, to exhort those around us, stabilize your calling. Stabilize your calling to two things. The day you got saved and the day you surrendered to the Lord. Make sure that you revisit your salvation. Make sure you know you're saved. It doesn't matter if I think you're saved or your pastor thinks you're saved, your mama thinks you're saved. You and God know if you're saved. And if you are saved, go back to that moment and thank God for it with regularity. First Peter says this, whenever we get away and we forget that we're purged from our sin, there are some terrible byproducts to that. Number one, he said, you'll become nearsighted. You won't see afar off if you do that. another thing that he says that you're you're destined to fall. If you can't see good, you're going to fall. And that's a problem that we have. And we forget we're purged from our sins. Go back and remember the day you got saved and stabilize the fact that you know you're saved. And by the way, another way to do that is tell people what God did to save you. Tell the unsaved about it. They need to hear it. Tell your family about it. Everybody in your family ought to know how you got saved. If you don't know how your daughter got saved, your son got saved, your mom and your dad, hey, listen tonight, when you gather together on the way home, say, hey, tell me what God did to bring you to Christ. Mm -hmm. One of the most grievous things is Christians who have been saved a long time, and I sit down, I find out they went on to be the Lord. I say, is your mom and dad a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah. When they get saved, I don't know. They're probably young. I don't know. I don't know. That's terrible. Everybody ought to know when you got saved, especially those who live with you. Rehearse that conversation. And remember the day you got say, To exhort other people, stabilize your calling to salvation. Everyone needs two days, a day of salvation, when you understand that you have Jesus. But you another day, it's a day of surrender, when you understand that Jesus has you. <laughs> and uh, everybody needs those two days. Do you say, Pastor, do you have those days? If I ask you today, we could sit together. Could you tell me when it was that you took God's son and he took your sin? When did you get saved? How many think, Pastor, I think if we talked, I could tell you when that happened for me. Would you raise your hand? Wonderful. Good. And you know, there ought to be equally another day when you said, Lord, I belong to you. You took me and I took you at salvation. Now you need to have me and I need to surrender myself. doesn't mean you have to quit your job, but it might mean that. It means you said, you know, God, I'm going to give you the blank paper. You fill out the, what you want for me to do. What do you want me to do with my life? <laughs> I want to surrender to you. God always leaves His best for those who leave the choice up to Him. And you want to do whatever God wants you to do. And the commandments of God, they're not grievous. They're good for you. They're good for me. Hey, listen, if we want to... uh, Is A a a, a Canadian thing? I've been trying to say that. I want to fit in. Hey? (laughs) Nonetheless... uh, We find here that we we stabilize our calling. We'll be an instrument of exhortation. Number two, we'll stand our biblical position. Nothing quite aggravates and hurts others around you as when you were one thing at one time, and then now you're no longer like that. You were holy at one time, and now you're you're worldly. You don't want to do that. You want to stand your biblical position, doctrinally and practically. Practically. Listen, if it was right then, it's right now. If it's in black and white in the Bible, then go ahead and believe it and live it out. I want to encourage you. Uh, Doctrine determines destiny. And all over the Bible, and through the Apostle Paul to his young proteges, he would say, Listen, you have to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Hold fast to that form of doctrine. Because doctrine determines destiny. If you want to be a form of, uh, uh, used of God to exhort brothers and sisters, stabilize your own calling and stand your biblical position. Give not to those men who are given to change. Don't, I am the Lord, I change not. Oh, listen, decide, you know, Lord, I may be a lot of things in my life, but Lord, please help me to be, stay right with you. Nothing's ever settled till it's settled right. Nothing's ever settled right till it's settled right with God. You want to exhort those around you? Remember what it was to be saved and to surrender yourself to the Lord. And stabilize your calling. As Pastor Harness talked about that today. He was, if you haven't watched that, you've got to watch that. There's a great message this morning. Stabilize the calling. Stand your biblical position. One of the things that God wants us to do in this wicked world is to stand. And having done all to stand. He wants you to stand firm. And that's an encouragement to those around us. How many I appreciate, how how many folks I come to my mind, I think, you know, I'm just glad they have stood for the right thing. And then those who have fallen off in the way of the world, it just saddens me. It's the opposite of exhortation. It's a discouragement. But when people just stand doing the right thing the right way for the right reason for a lifetime, oh, that's encouraging. Number three is you'll need to decide if you're going to be a used of God to exhort others, you're going to have to settle your offenses. It's impossible to live life without getting hurt and without hurting other people. It just happens. We live in a fallen world, and you're going to get hurt. People are going to disappoint you. Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, parents, children will hurt their parents. Pastors. We're human beings. We hurt people sometimes. We say things we shouldn't have said. We, we talk for a living, and sometimes we talk too much, and we say things we shouldn't say in moments of, the flesh, and not in the spirit-filled manner. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the hurt? Some people choose to live with it a whole lifetime. But if I think if you're going to be a, a used of God to exhort other people, you're going to have to learn. I got to settle my offenses. You know the way God wants to settle our offenses? Forgiveness. Accept the pain. Accept the price. Release the offender. And turn it over to the Lord. If you don't, you're going to become a bitter person. Sometimes pastors, we become bitter. Sometimes pastor wives are bitter. Sometimes it's teenagers that are bitter. Sometimes it's parents. Sometimes it's deacons. Something just hurt you. And you didn't deal with it correctly. You'll never be used of God as a form of exhortation. And listen, those of us who lead a work for God, you can't afford bitterness. Bitterness is, so the Bible says, beware lest any man fail the grace of God. You know, if you're bitter, you don't have to be. It's like having Neosporin on the table and you've got a bad wound and you're just not going to use it. God's grace is available. It has to be applied. And if not, it's going to trouble you, the Bible says, and defile many. Don't give your kids a bitter mom, a bitter a bitter dad, bitter brother, sister. Don't do that. Don't give your mom and dad a bitter son or a daughter. Many of us, we look forward to aging. Want, you want your kids to have a bitter grandma? You know how grandma is. Ugh. Bitter people are kind of the guy that goes to the doctor. He says, "Doctor, I, I'm dying. I'm hurting all over my body." So, what's the matter? He goes, "My shoulder, ah. My knee, ah. My stomach, oh. My head, ah." Doctor, am I going to die? He says, "No, you're going to live, but your finger is severely infected." <laughs> and you know that's the way bitter people are. When they go to the nursery drama, you know. They go to the family reunion <laughs> drama. They go to work. My boss, he's an idiot. You know, it's it's always somebody else. Wherever they go, oh, it's the knee. No, it's you, Spanky. <laughs> it's you. It's it's my sister. It's my it's my family. It's my mother-in-law. No, it's you. And bitterness. It, it comes up inside of us. If we're going to be a source of exhortation, we must learn to settle offenses. I don't know exactly. There's, there's no, like, magical uh, salve to do that. But let me just give you what Jesus did. Remind with me, remember with me what Christ did. What did he do on the cross? On the cross, we know that Jesus did three things. Number one, he made a choice to suffer for something that he didn't do. Who did that to him? I did. He made the choice. Did he have to stay on the cross? No. He chose to suffer for someone else's sin and just said, you know what? I I will accept that, and I want them to be released. You have to make that decision too. You can build a whole case on how they don't deserve to be forgiven. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't forgive, it's going to be on you. You have to choose to suffer for what someone else did to you. Number two, uh, I would say you you need to pray for the person that hurt you, or the situation that wounded you. And Jesus prayed on the cross. He said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." They know what they did, but they don't know how it feels. The guy that nailed the the uh, the, the nail, he, they knew what they were. They were on the other side of that hammer. They didn't know what it was like to go through the tendons and the, and the, and the, and the sinew here. No, they didn't know that. They're on the other side of that. He said, Father, forgive them. Now, i got a prayer. I want to pray for people that hurt me. It's like, Father, please help them know how bad they hurt me. But that's not what Jesus prayed. I pray another prayer for people that hurt me. Lord, please take them off the planet. <laughs> you know, but that's not the prayer that Jesus prayed. He said, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they, you, I know how much they need your help. And they know what they did, but they don't know how it hurt me. Do you know when you're bitter and I'm bitter, I'm thinking about my offender and my offender's not thinking about me. I've allowed them to enter into my time, my effort, my perspectives. They're not thinking about me. I've had many people come to my office and talk about all the bad things and, and go say, you know, while they're talking to me, the person who hurt them is not even thinking about them they are eat up with it. And they need to do what Christ did, choose to suffer and let them go. They owe me, but I don't want to collect. Pray for them. And then on the cross, Jesus said the last several things. Into thy hands I commend my... It's interesting. You know, if Jesus would have said, into your presence I commend my spirit, would any of us have a problem with that? That's not what he said. If Jesus had said, Lord, into your throne, I commend my spirit. All of us would say, that's fine. That's not what Jesus said. He said, into thy hands. The Bible says, humble thyself under the mighty hand of God. You know what hands do? They control. They control how you drove, which lanes you came in. They control how we parted our hair or how much makeup you put on. They controlled which shirt or which tie you took off the rack and which one you're gonna to wear tonight, what blouse you're gonna wear. They control what notes are gonna be played on the piano or on the guitar. They they control things. And do you know what God says? I think we need to turn over our attitude about those events into the control of God. You know the reason we oftentimes hang on to bitterness because we don't think we can trust God with the situation. We want to stay in control. And on the cross, Jesus demonstrated for us, into your hands. Is there something happening in your life that you want to hold on to the control? You want to make sure someone pays for what happened to you? The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. If I try to make someone pay, I'm off my rug. We need to let him control things. If I'm going to be a, a use as God to exhort others, I'm going to need to, number one, stabilize the calling. Stand my biblical position. Sweeten, excuse me, settle my offenses. Number four, sweeten your spirit. Decide, you know what, I am not going to be a bitter, frustrated person. I'm going to smile. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be grateful. I've got so many blessings. I think about the little Fanny Crosby who wrote that song, a Blessed Assurance, and Many, many others. She wrote so many songs, she started putting fake names on it because it was getting embarrassing. So she just make up the same name, Howard Jones, and just put his name on there. She was writing them, but someone else, She goes, everybody thinks I write all these songs. But you know, when she was eight years old, after going to the doctor when she was a little baby, her grandmother took her to the doctor to get her eyes fixed. She had an infection, and a, a drunken physician instead of giving her something to help her, put something mustard paste on her eyes, took away her vision for the rest of her life. At eight years old, she wrote this little poem. Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. I have so many blessings that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. If an eight-year-old can figure that out, boy, a 55-year-old ought to get that together. I oh, ought to get a checker from the neck up <laughs> and I say, Hang on, Wilkerson, what are you complaining about? You know, no matter what's going on, we got a lot of things we can be thankful for. Sweeten your spirit. let thing You Can Smile. When you can't say a word, you can smile. When you cannot be heard, you can smile. When it's cloudy or fair, you can smile anytime, anywhere. You know, they say it takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. We ought to try to do that. Be lazy.
1: <laughs>
0: Start smiling. Sweeten your spirit. Say, you know what? I am not going to let this uh, upset my apple cart. I'm good. God knows. I'm going to walk into that pulpit on Sunday morning. I'm going to greet our people with a smile on my face, a spring in my step, a song in my heart, a shake, handshake. This is getting ridiculous. God's given me so many blessings. And if anybody ought to mirror the goodness of God, it ought to be his leaders. Amen. Sweeten your spirit. I would say another thing that helps us exhort the people is sustain your purity. Sustain your purity. Nothing quite sabotages someone's life like immorality. But purity is always smart. immorality is always stupid. It's always destructive. Be pure. Be pure in your motives. Be pure in your, in your morals. You'll never exhort people to the extent you aud- ought And I'm, I'm so grateful that we're sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And listen, if you've messed up, fess up. Admit it and quit it. And trust God with your future. And if the devil ever reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future and keep going, okay? <laughs> Don't, don't let that beat you up. If you confess that to the Lord, just live with it and, and understand and do the best you can. But if you have a choice, be pure your whole life. And you do have that choice. Protect your morals. Protect your motives. It's a great way to be a, a used of God to exhort other people. Two more thoughts and stimulate your passion. If you're going to be used of God, and I want to be, and so do you, we've got to be passionate people. You know, there's a, one reason you and I want to learn to pray is because when we learn to pray, prayer bursts two things, a vision and passion. When I learn to pray and you learn to pray, we get a vision about what God's trying to accomplish and we get passion to do it. Many people who lack passion or lack an understanding of what God's doing is because we fail to pray. You don't want to be like that. You want to be someone to stimulate your passion. Uh, If we're going to exhort people, number one, stimulate your passion for Christ. Pastor alluded to it a while ago, but you know the truth of the matter is, I know. Can you imagine Apostle Paul? They say that he died in his early 60s. Only 18 years from the time that he, he potentially left Antioch until he had his head taken off in Rome. 18 years of ministry. Now, he learned some things before that, maybe seven or eight years. He was uh, in uh, Tarshish, and Saul went to get him. But 18 years, this guy really did a lot in 18 years. He only stayed at one place longer than three years, and that was in Ephesus. He stayed there and taught at the school of Tyrannus. 18 years from the time he left Antioch to be a missionary until he uh, graduated to heaven. And what he did was unbelievable. How God used him. I think I know why. I think I know why God uses him a lot more than he used me. Things like this. I am crucified with. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but for me to live is yeah, when Christ who is my life. Not my hobby, not my interest. He's my life. I mean, you can't hardly write three verses without putting Jesus and God in there, and Christ. I wonder how many times if we could get all of our text messages together that we've all texted today. I got yours, you got mine. How many times would we have spelled out Christ, Jesus, God, Lord? If we get all our emails together, how many times would we type out Lord, God, Christ? How about if we got our, our words together? All of our words we spoke since we saw each other last night. How many times would we have heard you say, Jesus, Lord, Christ. You know, we talk about things we love sometimes while we don't talk about Christ. We have a hard time witnessing because we don't even talk about him in our own privacy. Much less out in an unsaved world. Kind of condemning, isn't it? Kind of convicting, eh? Eh? Want to make sure you're awake there. Listen, these are some things that God is helping sustain your passion and and stimulate your passion for Christ, for souls. The old psalm, oh, give me, Lord, thy love for souls, for lost and wandering sheep. Help me to see the multitudes and weep as thou dost weep. Help me to see the tragic plight of men and women far off in sin. Help me to love, to pray and go and bring the wandering in and off the altar of your heart, God. Give me a flaming coal and touch my life and give me, Lord, a heart that's hot for souls. O fire of love, O flame divine, make thy abode in me. Burn in my heart, burn evermore till I burn out for thee. Oh, listen, we need to be passionate about getting the gospel to someone. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for your co-workers. Pray for the people around your church family. Begin a passion and say, God, please use me to lead another person to Christ. Help those get saved. That's not just our pastor's job. That's my job. That's your job. That's everybody's job. We're all called to preach the gospel. Everybody. Women, men. Everybody ought to be saying, God, please give me a heart that's passionate for souls. Be passionate for your family. Be passionate for your wife, sir. Ma'am, you be passionate about being the best wife you can be to your husband. Be passionate about being a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or brother and sister, your family role. Be passionate about your walk with the Lord. Be passionate about personal purity. Be passionate about your church family. You want to exhort someone else? I want to, and you do. We've got to learn to be passionate. Then I say lastly, in addition to the thoughts we had, stabilize your calling. Stand your biblical position. Settle your offenses. Sweeten your spirit. Sustain your purity. Stimulate your passion. Lastly, can I just encourage you to to be steadfast through the trials of life. We all have problems. You say, well, I don't have any problems. Keep breathing, buddy. You'll have some problems. Problems come and they come and go. But let me just tell you, you've got a God who is there at every turn. If you have a loneliness, it's your problem. Unfulfilled expectation is your problem. You thought by now you'd be in a different location. You'd be a different situation. And you find, listen, take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. Take your care. Make it prayer. When you have a problem, don't try to transition out of your problem. Let God transform you through your problem. Trust Him. Obey Him. That trust and obey, there is no other way. Yo. Farmer says, if you strike a thorn or a rose, well, keep going. If it hails or if it snows, well, keep going. There's no sense to sit and whine when the fish ain't on your line. Just bait your hook and keep trying. Keep going. If the weather kills your crop, well, keep going. Though it's work to reach the top, well, keep going. Suppose you're out of every dime. Well, getting broke ain't no crime. Just tell the world you're doing fine and keep going. Trust God for another day, another opportunity. You don't judge things by your results. You judge things by your God. Keep on going. We want to exhort one another. We need to be steadfast through the difficulties of life. It's in those difficult, low times that we meet God. And God meets us. And He shows us to to us. And then He shows Him to us. And then He shows Him to others through us. But we, gotta, we can't quit. Let us got to keep being faithful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the attention of your people. I pray that you would help us to be used of you to exhort others around us in our life. Please work in me. Help me not to preach something not, not willing to practice. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment, if God has spoken to you, Could I encourage you to speak back to him? I encourage people, and I'll do this too, because I feel like I never want God to have to get loud or demonstrative with me. If he just talks to me a little bit, I want to talk back to him. God's people throughout the scriptures have appealed for God's people to respond when God speaks to them. Is there anyone here? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I die to go to heaven, but I'm concerned about it. Would you raise your hand? Anybody like that? I'm not sure if I die to go to heaven. Anybody like that? How many say, God, God is speaking to my heart? I need to be stimulated in my passion. I need to deal with my offenses. I need to settle. Settle my offenses. I need to sweeten my spirit. I need to be passionate. I can see where God's speaking to me about that. If God's speaking to you, let's speak back to Him. Let's ask Him to help us. Let's stand together while uh, we hear the organ play. If God spoke in your heart, will not you come? I think it's a good time to do it. And pastors and leaders, even if you're not able to kneel, I encourage you to come. I'm not counting heads, but if God's speaking, let's speak back to Him as God works in our heart, as we hear this. Let's let God speak to us. Maybe you ought to just ask God, please save somebody Who comes to your mind tonight? Is there a neighbor? Is there a friend? Is God calling you to serve him with your life? Don't fight that. Good night in the morning. If God would bless us and call us and equip us, let's serve him. Let's give of our best to the master. Oh, we've got some good people in this room. May God help each of us to be stimulated. Remember what it means to be saved. Work in our hearts, Lord. Why don't we stay where we are in just a moment? I'll have Brother Harness close us in prayer in just a moment. But oh, I believe God's working. And sometimes what we do in moments of prayer will determine what we'll do in our next opportunity to obey the Lord. There's someone waiting for you, ma'am, sir. That needs you to be on top side. Needs you to exhort them. With the harness, would you pray for us a prayer of dedication and ask God to seal these thoughts in our hearts? Would you please?
1: Decisions that have been made. And Lord, I pray that you would seal each and every decision, and may these decisions not be forgotten or neglected. And I pray that. pray that you bless your people today. Bless this dear church. Thank you uh, for their love and their sacrifice. We send this home now with thy blessings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed tonight. See you tomorrow morning. Uh, bright and early. Should we change the time to 5 a.m. so we can have a longer day? You don't mean it. I'll see you tomorrow morning. God bless you. Thank you.